0: All right, well, let's take our Bible tonight and turn to Colossians chapter 3, this mic. Colossians chapter number 3, we're finally in chapter 3. So there's four chapters in the book, it means we're halfway done with the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter three. We're going to look at verses one through four tonight. And uh, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, I would uh, encourage you to join me in that if you're able to do that. Colossians chapter three and verses one through four. The word of God says this: If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this uh, very precious passage of Scripture that we just read. Um, Lord, I'm not going to do justice to it. These are precious, precious words, but I do pray, Lord, you'd help us to understand uh, a little bit of what you are trying to communicate in this a section of, of your word, and I pray, Lord, we would apply it to our life and that you would change us as a result. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Like a couple of the other epistles that Paul wrote, the book of Colossians starts very doctrinal, and then because of the doctrine, then Paul changes the, changes the tune and goes to a more practical emphasis in the book. He does this in the book of Romans. Romans basically chapters 1 through 8 are very doctrinal, 9 through 11 are dealing with uh, Israel and the Jews, and then chapter 12, then he kind of hits it hard with the practical application of the doctrinal truth that he just got done going through uh the apostle paul also did that in the book of ephesians the first uh couple chapters first three chapters are very doctrinal and then and then it gets very practical in chapter four five and six and so the the apostle paul does that here in the book of colossians he spends the first uh, a couple chapters dealing with doctrine and, and who Christ is and what Christ did for us. And then in chapter 2, he really uh, dealt with some of the things that um, the church there were struggling with and the false teachers that they were dealing with and, and some of the uh, things that these false teachers were teaching in that church. And he was correcting uh, all those things. And now he turns a corner and uh, and gets into the practical aspect, aspects. And so this is pretty much, uh, we could almost say in chapter 3 and verse number 1, therefore, because of all that we just learned, because of all of that, let's uh, now make some practical application. And so uh, tonight we're going, the title of the message is Things Above, and we're going to be looking at uh what we are to do as a result of the doctrinal truth that we have just studied in chapters 1 and 2. And so, let's dive into this, uh, this section here in this passage and, and uh, look at these three major thoughts here. First of all, let's look at our standing. Now, we've seen a couple other times already in this letter how that Paul reminds these believers who they were in Christ and what Christ did for them. In fact, I preached a message called Our Standing in Christ just a few weeks ago back in July. Uh, so it was back in in, in chapter number 2. We, we looked at uh, several of the aspects of our standing with Christ, but then he, he goes and emphasizes it again here in chapter number 3. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Say your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And so in this uh, these three verses here, we see three um, aspects of our standing in Christ. First of all, in this, we see that we are dead with Christ in verse number three. For ye are dead. It's not something we want to be told. <laughs> um, I'm, I prefer to be alive, uh, right? But um, but here he says, ye are dead. And what he's talking about is we are dead with Christ. This is not a new concept to these believers here as they're reading this letter, because he already mentions it in verse number 20 of chapter 2. If you look back just a few verses here, it says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. So we are dead with Christ. Our um, memory verse for the month of September is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which... I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This doctrine or this uh, truth that we are dead with Christ is found in Romans chapter 6 and explained a little further. So if you want to just turn back over to Romans chapter 6 very quickly. I just want to mention here, because Paul does, and he emphasizes their standing and then he kind of gives because of that, but but we do need to be reminded of our standing in Christ. So uh, Romans chapter number six and verse number one, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse two God forbid, absolutely not. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old, our old man, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin." And I and I have said it so many times, um, you know, if we had a if we had a casket here with a corpse in it, and we were to say, hey, and I, I would hit him, would he be tempted to get back at me? And no, he wouldn't, because he's dead. If I said, hey, he, here's a here's a beer, would you like to have some alcohol? Would he be tempted to do that? No. Why? Because he's dead. Um, hey, would you like to have lustful thoughts? He can't. He's dead. And and, and same with us, um, our our old nature has been crucified, and and we are to reckon reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. Okay, going back to Colossians chapter number three, see Christ not only died for us in substitution, but we also died with Him, and uh, when we got saved, our old nature was crucified, and this means we can now have victory over the old sin nature that wants to control us. We no longer have to sin. See, before Christ, we had to sin. Uh, that was just our nature, and we just had to obey. It, it, we, we were under the bondage of sin. But now in Christ, we no longer have to because we're, we, we are dead with Christ. There's a story of two sisters who enjoyed going to dances and wild parties, Well, they got introduced to the gospel, and they got saved, and they found new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they hadn't really gotten the word out to everybody about their change. but, And so they received an invitation to a party. And uh, they sent their RSVP back to them in these words, We regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. Now, these sisters in the Lord, see, recognize that they were dead with Christ. I mean, they were living physically, but spiritually, um, they had, or not spiritually, their old nature had been crucified, and they no longer had to do those things because uh, they were dead with Christ in that way. So our standing is we are dead with Christ. Uh, next, we are also risen with Christ. In verse number one, he says, if ye then be risen with Christ. In Colossians two twelve, he references this truth here. He says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So we are risen with Christ. By the way, Christ was indeed risen. Uh, there's no question on that, and uh, I know it's not Easter, but uh, it's okay to talk about the resurrection on days that are not the, not Easter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is uh, just a tremendous uh, proof text on the resurrection of Christ. But uh, he says, Paul does to the church at Corinth there, he says, um, "...I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures." And then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. But then, in in verse number 5, he says, "...that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also." And, and, and the phrase here, he was seen, he was seen, he was seen. It's not like we're making this up. It's not like these are figments of our imagination. He was seen, he was seen, he was seen. He was seen of 500 brethren. Like, go call them up. And, and, and I said, like, okay, we called a witness number one to come and testify. Have you seen the resurrected Savior? Yes, I have. Okay, I rest my case, but I do want to call... Witness number two to the witness stand. Have you seen the resurrected Christ? Yes. And all the jury is like, okay, we, we get it. We get it. We get it. He's alive. Okay. Uh, if we, we did that 500 times, it, it would be um, pretty, pretty substantial. It's not like just one person making this up. So he was seen. So Jesus was indeed risen. But the thing is, as believers, so are we. So are we. One commentator said it this way, the glorious impression or irrepressible fact is that Christ is raised from the dead and our identification with Him is so complete that we actually stand with Him on the resurrection side of the grave. And regardless of whether we feel this to be so is immaterial, God declares it to be fact. So um, here He says in, in, back in Colossians 3 and verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, and, and that might be misunderstood like, well, I don't know if I am risen with Christ. Well, if you are a believer, you are risen with Christ, um, and uh, he's basically saying, look, s- since you've been risen with Christ, and and I'm not trying to change the Bible here, uh, but that's what he's kind of insinuating. It's not like, okay, well, I'm a believer, so am I risen with Christ? I mean, how do I know for? If you're a believer, then you are risen with Christ, and and um, and so. If you've been saved, then you are risen with Christ. So, our standing in the Lord, we are dead with Christ. But praise the Lord, we are risen with Christ. And then, thirdly here, I want us to notice we are hid with Christ in verse number 3. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. We're hidden. When you play in hide-and-go-seek, I understand the teens did this at the uh, progressive dinner um, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, Luke was trying to, like, say that he had the best hiding place because no one, no one would, would see that. Uh, no one would find him, and, but he did not win. So, sorry about that, Luke. Um, but when you're playing hide-and-go-seek, you want to hide in a place that you feel safe that no one can find you, right? Well, here's the deal. When, in Christ, we are hid with Christ in God. We're safe. We're in a place of safety and security. It's like the eye of the hurricane. I mean, chaos can be going around us, but if we're in Christ, we are hid with Christ in God. And uh, you think about the, uh, the three Hebrew children. They were in the center of, raging, of the raging flame in the fiery furnace, and yet they were safe because they were hid with Christ. In fact, Christ was there in that moment with them in that furnace. So we are hid with Christ. We are secure in Him. We are safe and secure, and we are hid with Christ. So, our standing, just to remind us of who we are in Christ. We are dead with Him, we are risen with Him, and we are hid with Him. Well, because of that, let's look secondly at our seeking. Since we are dead with Christ, since we are risen with Him and hid with Christ in God, what should should we then be doing? What should be the natural response to our standing? Paul mentions here that we should be seeking different things than the world seeks. Verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ. In other words, since that is your situation, since that is your standing, seek then those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And verse 2, set your affection, your heart on things above, not on things on the earth. Because if we're in Christ... And Christ, where is he? He's above. He's uh, he not only resurrected from the grave, but he ascended up into heaven and is now on the right hand of God. And since we're in Christ, and Christ is in us, our affection, our heart needs to be where He is, and that's where He is on things uh, above, not on not on this earth. So most people. And even Christians focus a lot on temporal things, don't we? At least we're tempted to. And we, we focus on things that will eventually burn up. Things like money. Things like power. Possessions. Influence. Sports. Pleasure. Entertainment. Beauty. Strength. I mean, these things as believers, are too low for us to be seeking or to be focused on. We're called to have a higher focus, to focus on things above, things that are eternal. Why? Because according to verse number 4, when Christ, who is our life, Christ is our life. Paul said it in Philippians one twenty one: For to me to live is... Anybody know the next word? Christ, but for a lot of people it's, for to me to live is, and they fill in the blank with something they're really passionate about, underwater basket weaving, and I don't know that anybody in here has that passion, I'm just saying, I'm just throwing that ridiculous example out, Uh, but you fill in the blank of whatever you're super passionate about, Uh, Make sure that our greatest passion in this life is Christ. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Is He your life, or does something else define you? Now, most of you know that I am a hockey fan. Finally, somebody who says amen. Okay, that's a sign right there, Mike. You need to move here and be a part of this church family. Because I need someone to encourage me in those moments, because usually it's crickets, cricket city, whenever I say I'm a hockey fan. Uh, And preseason hockey starts this month. Thank you. Yeah, no one else cares, I know. Um, And so we are just a few short weeks away from the beginning of the regular season. And I enjoy hockey, and, and, uh, and it's fine. Right, but uh, I've seen a T-shirt that says this, and I think Luke, there's a picture on the screen. Hockey is life. Now I get, and the rest, the rest is just details. <laughs> okay, now I I understand the the silliness of that, that shirt, but here's the deal. Many people, like in Canada, around these hockey towns. It is their life. It is their passion. It defines them. And I realize that I'm I'm using this example because I know that most of you are going, well, that's not very convicting to me. Okay, well, I'm preaching to a bunch of Oklahomans. Okay. Okay, amen, but get ready for this one. Football season just started this past week. Sooner, okay. I had to fall for it. (laughs) Okay, there are, and we went to, uh, me and the boys went to the game yesterday, and I have to tell you, I was like surprised at just how rabid fans that are here in Oklahoma for the Sooners. And I haven't even gone up to Stillwater for a game to see the Cowboy fans. I don't know if I want to. (laughs) No. and, and, and it's all fine and fun, and, and, and there, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with football, amen? Okay, thank you. Uh, my wife's not saying amen in this moment, okay? But look, if that defines you, if that's your passion, if that's what you live for, as a believer, it's too low of a purpose. That's right. It's too temporal of, a, of what defines you. Hockey should not be your life. Football should not be your life. For some teenagers, video games are their life. Wow! So you win the national championship for video games. Congratulations! I'm so very proud of you. I used to be a youth pa- when I was a youth pastor. I would always say, you know, when you get to heaven, God's not going to look at your thumb muscles because when back in those days, this is you know, you had to use like your thumb to play the 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 whatever they call them, the pads, the game controller. Thank you. Thank you. I just needed someone to reveal who their uh, video games is their life. So it worked. It worked. (laughs) Um, But the controller, I mean, they would play the controllers, and and these guys were on Xbox, like, constantly when I was a youth pastor. And I'm like, God's not going to be in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ going, well, I... I'm just so impressed with how big your thumb muscles are. I mean, you got the high score and I'm so impressed that I gave you all that talent and all that time and all that ability and you used it to be amazing at video games. I'm so impressed. That's not what's going to happen. And uh, But here's one that uh, may be a little more close to home, maybe somebody and here would say, you know, my family is really important and there's a quote here go ahead and put that up on the screen. Michael J. Fox is famous for saying family is not important. It's everything. Now, I love my family. I love my wife dearly. I love my kids. I even love my brother. <laughs> I love my brother and his family, and I love my dad, and I love, I love my aunts and uncles, and, and I love my family, but, but listen, if my family is everything, and some tragic thing comes and, and takes my family away, then my whole life is gone. You know, Job, it happened to him. I mean, he... If he found his identity, if his life was all about his family and and he comes and all of his kids are dead in one fell swoop. Now, I'm not saying that 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 shouldn't affect us. (laughs) But if our whole life's purpose and identity is wrapped up in our family, it's too small of a purpose. It's too small of an identity. Because if that happened to you, if your family was taken away and it was just you left, would you still love and walk with your Lord? Job did. And, and I hope that doesn't happen to anybody in here. I certainly don't want it to happen to me. I love my family, and I, I, want, my fam- I want to see my grandkids eventually. Um, but for it, hopefully in a not super-near future, um, <laughs> I'm not ready to be a grandpa yet, OK? But look here, Paul said this, when Christ, who is our life, is he really your life? Does he really define you? Is he really your purpose and your focus? If he really is our life, then then our focus we will want to have is to seek the things that are important to him. The things that are above. And, and what do we know that is important to the Lord? Well, this book right here is important to him. And if it's important to Him, then don't you think it ought to be important to us? And not just in a verbal sense where we say, oh, I love the Bible, but our life points to that fact that we do. Our, Our schedule points to the fact that we do, that we carve out time for this book right here. If Jesus really is our life, then we're going to have time in His Word. We're going to seek those things which are above, things that are important to Him. What else is important to Him? His house is important to Him. The local church is important to Him. Because remember, He loved the church. He loved it so much that He gave His life for it, and He shed His own blood for it. If it was important to Him enough to do all of that, it ought to be important for us to carve out time in our schedule to be there. I know you're here this evening, and I know I'm preaching the choir Although, should we start a choir with the entire church here? I'm not sure. Uh, But here's the deal. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we're going to gather together again. I hope to see you here. I hope that you're focused on things above, and if that's the case, you'll be here when the doors are open. See? Um, What else is... The Lord interested in? Well, He's also in, interested in souls, because you see, He shed His blood also so that souls could be saved, just like yours was. And He wants to have us as His uh, children to be His voice, His preacher. I mean, how will they hear without a preacher? You say, well, that's why you're here, preacher, <laughs> so that you'll preach to them. Now, all of us need to preach the gospel to every creature. We're all called to do that, not just me. So the harvest field, God is very concerned with the harvest field, and we need to be thinking and focused in on that. So instead of looking at all the temple things that are going to burn up, which they will, by the way... Let's get our attention and our eyes and our hearts onto the things above, things that are eternal, our affection on things above. These are the things that, I, that we love, that we, that we focus in on and that we're attached to, that we're obsessed with. It, it ought to be on the things above, the things of God. Why? Because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. This is not my permanent dwelling place. We sung about it a moment ago in that song, I've Got a Mansion. I have no here permanent dwelling. This is not my permanent home. And yet, many of Christians, many, too many Christians, act as though this world is their permanent home. Okay, quick survey here. How many of you, when you go out of town and you spend a couple nights in a hotel, actually take your suitcase and unpack it into the dresser drawers? How many do that? You raise your hand. Okay, Faith, you better raise your hand. Or she's not in here. I think she may be in nursery tonight. Oh, you, okay, there you are. You don't do that. Mark does it. Well, when we went to the timeshare, I know you guys did put stuff in those dresser drawers. But you usually don't do it. All right. Well, some, okay, Kim, thank you. So There you go. Well, Here's the deal, okay? When, when, when it comes to living here on this earth, and, and, I, and look, we have a home, I've unpacked my suitcases in my dresser drawers here in, 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 in home. But after moving to Oklahoma almost four years ago, my wife and I made a pact that we're never, ever, ever moving again, didn't we? Because <laughs> it is way too much work and it is such a pain. So we made our decision to have our current house be our forever home. Now, but we understand that it's not actually our forever home. Now, we know that there is somewhere else that we're going to be, and we ought not to get too, too attached to this home, to this world, because this is not our permanent dwelling. Look, if you have been, a, if you have been saved, then you have a wonderful home waiting for you. I remember when uh, we found out that we were going to be going on a cruise to Alaska. Uh, My wife's grandmother was going to be sending Julie and I on a cruise to Alaska for our anniversary. And we were excited about it, and we talked about it, and talked about it, and talked about it, because, I mean, this was an exciting event And we did research, and back in those days, the online experience was less than it is now. But we did what we could to find out what the cruise ship was going to be, what was going to be on the cruise ship. And we were just excited about the fact that we were going to be going to Alaska and trying to figure out, okay, which which ports we're going to be at, and and what are we going to do at those ports, what are we going to try to see and and do, and we were were getting excited about going to Alaska. Okay, here's the deal. We're going to heaven as believers, aren't we? Maybe it's time that we get excited about going to heaven, enough to start thinking about it again, enough to start living for it again. Enough to start maybe finding out what the Bible has to say about it and how what the Bible says we should be doing in preparation for that time. If you found out you were going to a trip to Paris, let's say, well, you'd probably try to figure out where the best restaurants are and you'd probably figure out, you know, some of the tourist attractions to make sure that you got to see and. Okay, the thing is, we are going to a better place than Alaska or Paris combined. We're going to a wonderful place called heaven. Well, we better get excited about it. We better start planning for it and seeking those things that are there. Maybe you've heard the expression, Well, if I, if I seek those things which are above, I might be too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. No, friend, I don't really think we have too much danger in that. I actually believe that most Christians are too earthly-minded to be any heavenly good. In fact, I actually think that the more heavenly-minded we are, the more earthly good we are. And so I want to encourage all of us tonight to do what Paul says and to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Because the things of this earth are going to burn up. Peter talked about a fervent heat that's going to dissolve all of this stuff. Well, I'm just really passionate about cars or my home, and, and, and I'm not against it. None of those things are wrong. But I'm just saying it's too, too low of a focus. We need to get our affection and our hearts and our eyes upon the things that matter for eternity things above. So because of our standing with Christ we should have a different seeking but also because of our standing with Christ we thirdly have a someday our someday in verse number 4 when Christ who is our life shall appear then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And I like that word we focused in a little bit on it this morning in the message, but it's the four-letter word that starts, verse 4, when. Not if Christ, who is our life, shall appear, but when Christ shall appear. Then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Look, friend, this is happening. It's not a pipe dream or a fun idea. It's a promise of God, and it's as sure as any other promise of God. Uh, Jesus promised that he would come back in John 14 when he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. We sung about that a moment ago. But if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. and And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So that's really enough, but I actually have a couple other references for you. Paul referenced it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose, rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him." For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead of Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." Do you see the, the word shall mentioned so many times in that passage? Because it's a promise. It's going to happen. The Apostle Paul called it the blessed hope in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's not the hope in the sense of, like, you know, I hope the, uh, the Raiders win the Super Bowl this year. Now, I think it's a pretty likely scenario, given their. <laughs> Why is there laughing? That's not a joke. It's not in the notes as a joke. Why are people laughing? Okay, here's the deal. When it comes to the hope of Jesus Christ coming back for us, it's not in a sense of, it may or may not happen. It's a sense of, it's going to happen. It's just a simply a matter of when. A big difference there. He, Paul also referenced it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And when he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. The Apostle John also spoke of it in 1 John two twenty-eight, when he said, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear. Someone said, Biblical prophecy provides some of the greatest encouragement and hope available to us today. Just as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ's first advent, so both testaments are filled with references to the second coming of Christ. One scholar has estimated that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament where 17 books give it prominence in the 260 chapters of the New Testament. There are 318 references to the second advent of Christ. An amazing one out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. For every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's advent, there are eight which look forward to a second. So friend, there is an emphasis in the scriptures regarding the fact that Jesus is coming back. Some day the Lord will come back, and when He does, the Bible says we shall be changed. We will appear with Him in glory, according to Colossians 3.4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. 1 John 3.2 says it this way, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So, as we kind of examine a little bit of the life uh, of Christ after the resurrection and His body and the glorified state that He was in, that's going to be our state. He says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. We're going to be like Him. So, what did the resurrected body of Christ, what was it able to do? It was able to pass through walls. It's it's not going to be hindered at all anymore by corruption or sin or cancer. Amen on that. Or death. A little side note the resurrected body of Jesus, he still ate in his glorified state. Come on! (laughs) By the way, he also ate sweets. Yay, honeycomb! It's my proof text, we can still have sugar after, after the resurrection. But we're going to be changed. Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and I'm just going to ask you, we're, we're almost done here. 1 Corinthians 15, you just turn back over there real quick. I just want to show you this little passage, because this is a neat passage that... Paul explains this a little further on what's going to happen to us. And Again, he doesn't go through the list of things that we're going to be able to do in that state. I, I know there's other Bible scholars who'd be able to give a lot more information on it, but it's going to be amazing. That's probably enough said. But 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 42. He says this, So also is the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption but it is raised in incorruption so I am realizing as time goes on that my body is dying I need to report to you today that I'm dying but so are you we're all dying we played uh, we did a gym night with my brother's family over on Tuesday night we played hockey in the gym And I am still sore. Still. I mean, it's Sunday. It's almost been seven days since we did that. I'm getting old. No amens. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) thought my brother would throw out a good hearty amen at that moment. But it's too late. You missed your opportunity. Um, But here's the deal. Right now, my body is corruptible. And it is showing corruption. But when I'm raised in that moment, when, I, when he appears, I'm going to appear with him in glory. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be raised in incorruption. No longer is my body going to fade away and die and be corruptible. Verse 43, it says, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Going back to Colossians chapter 3. So, because of our standing in Christ, we need to make sure that we're seeking the things that are above. And because He's coming back for us, we need to make sure that we're ready for His appearing. I mentioned a verse, 1 John 2:28, I didn't finish reading it. It says and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear there's a reference to the promise of his coming back. But says here we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. He's coming back. What is he going to be ashamed? Or I'm sorry, are we going to be ashamed or are we going to be confident? It's kind of like when you walk into your kid's room and they're, doing, they're up to no good, and they're like, uh, you kind of got me doing something I'm not real confident in. <laughs> or it's, you find your kid doing right, and it's like, hey, good job, son. Good job, daughter. And I've shared how when I was working at Staples, uh, on the clock was working Supposed to be working, but I was instead on a computer playing Asteroids. Destroying those aliens, and I was doing good. I was getting a high score, I got to tell you. And as I was playing there, I mean, the store was, I mean, the store was, there was very few customers in there, and as far as I knew, all of them had been helped, and I was just like, just got distracted and started playing Asteroids. And then I heard my name. And I recognized the voice of the one calling my name. Sounded an awful lot like my boss. <laughs> and I turned around, and there she was. And she's like, Eric, what in the world are you doing? And I said, I'm playing a video game. I mean, I'm getting a high score. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. I said, I'm, she's like, oh, are you on a break? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm on the clock. She's like, get back to work. Yes, ma'am. Shouldn't have been doing that. When she came at her appearing appearance, I was ashamed and I was not confident. The Lord's coming back someday. What is he going to find you doing? Are you going to be ashamed or confident? Because it's going to happen at some point. Uh, I don't know when. I know some people think, well, this is, it's got to be coming close. And I, I hope it's coming close. But history has seen a lot of difficult times in the past. And who knows how bad it's going to get before he comes back. I don't know. He could come back tonight. There's nothing left in God's calendar before the rapture. So he could come back tonight. And I'd be okay with that. But when he does come, is he going to find you confident or ashamed? Is he going to invite, find you investing your life or in things that will burn up or investing in things that will matter for eternity? I hope that tonight you'll be encouraged and challenged to seek those things which are above, the things that are important to God, things that will matter for eternity, things that aren't going to burn up here on this earth. I know we need to work. I know we need to earn money to provide. I know that, but we can easily let that become an obsession can easily let that become a love, which we know the love of the money is the root of all evil. So we've sure, got to make sure our priorities are in check. And so tonight, let this be a checkpoint for you to make sure that you're seeking those things which are above. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word tonight that challenges us regarding our where to set our eyes and our hearts, our affection. I pray, Lord, that You'd help us because of our standing in You. And thank You for the fact that we are dead with Christ and risen with Christ and hid with Christ. Because of those truths, help us then to seek You, to seek the things that matter for eternity. And knowing that there's also going to be a someday when You're going to come back for us. And, Lord, in those moments, what matters for eternity is what's going to matter at that point. Not how much money we made, not all the things of this world, but how we invested our life for eternal things. So, Lord, tonight I I pray that you'd help us to remember to have the right priorities in this life. Because this world is not our home. Help us, Lord. Yes, we're here, living here for a while, but help us, Lord, not to get too deep of roots here. Help us to remember that we're just a passing through and our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue.